Hey everybody, welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we watch Blizzard very, very carefully. You gotta be watched. You never know what they're gonna do. They might just drop an Overwatch hero on you all of a sudden. Who knows? They're crazy. Gotta watch them. Uh, with me this week's my fantastic co-host, Ann Stickney. Ann, what have you been up to? Um, A lot of Pokemon <laughs> and World of Warcraft. I'm trying to get caught up in World of Warcraft so that I can actually like get flying. And yeah, I'm so far behind everybody else because I got distracted with real life stuff. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm loving the new zones, obviously, because they're great. But yeah, the rep grind thing it's taking time and I'm like I just I just want to fly around I should have gotten started on this way earlier anyway and as far as Pokemon goes they had a community day over the weekend and it was Mudkip day I was so excited I got so many Mudkips I like Mudkips anyway um other than that not a whole lot yeah I'm in the same boat in terms of uh wow I'm also behind mainly because I keep playing alts I'm in this really weird phase where I'm much more interested in my alts than my main, mm. which is, you know, I don't know why it happens to me every so often. Uh, that usually doesn't partially... happen to me. That usually doesn't happen to me until after I've played through everything on my main. And then it's like, OK, time to play with alts now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't normally get this way until the end of the, of this, the expansion either. But it's like I'm still interested in WoW, but I don't want to play WoW when my wife isn't available, and my wife's been not been available for various reasons. Gotcha. So I play WoW. I play WoW on other characters. So, and like I mean, I could get one of them to max level. I even have a couple of alts that are max level, so I could just play them. But I'm having I I'm actually having more fun leveling. Yeah. Like I like leveling, and it's weird because leveling in this game is not good. It's it's broken. It's real broken, guys. And yet I enjoy it. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't have to tell you. It's I'm, I think the character I'm working on right now is my uh, Dark Iron Dwarf because you know they're cool. They she has this cool fire hair. It looks nice. So I'm working on her, and then after that, I don't know. I don't yeah, know where I, I'll go next. I don't have any other games that are currently capturing my attention. I'm waiting for the next chapter of Life is Strange Two because I started playing that one, and then I got pretty far into it. And then I realized, oh, this is episodic, and the next chapter isn't due out until, I think, next month sometime. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not playing that for right now. I'm, I'm actually kinda... chewing a hole in the side of my face right now, trying not to talk about the game I've talked about the past three podcasts. So. <laughs> um, well, I know what you're <laughs> fascinated with. I, I don't know. I keep thinking that maybe I should like stream Life is Strange, because like, the first one was a really good game, but the thing is, is it's also an older game, so I don't know if people would be interested in watching it. Plus, it's um, narrative-based. There's no real combat or anything. It's all about like the choices you make and things like that, which I find fascinating, but a streaming audience might not. I don't know. But I'm still like I think, I, that I need to game, I need I to finish played it. I need to finish Bioshock Infinite and and I need to stream that because I haven't I, I think I'm close to the end but I haven't gone back to it since the last time I streamed it and I'm like I need to go finish that one because I was at a really interesting point so someday soon I'm hoping but yeah we've got stuff to talk about this week. Yep, we do. Those their top stories that we talk about in this their podcast. What am I talking like this for? I anyway, don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try to move back to speaking coherent English instead of whatever gibberish I was just doing. Um, let's talk first about Sigma, the new Talon hero who they, they've brought to Overwatch. Um, I got some thoughts about Sigma, but I'm going to let you talk first because you're more of an Overwatch player than I am. So, Sigma is... Okay, let's just go over his abilities really quick because he's actually um, 
the the thing that's unique about him is he's the first time that we've had a tank hero that's been talon oriented like all of the all of the tanks that we've had to date have been pretty much overwatch oriented or kind of you know in that ambiguous are they aren't they because overwatch obviously still isn't like a thing a thing it's still like in the process of reforming i don't know man the story it's like they filled us in on all the back stuff and then the stuff that's actually like going on today has has been moving forward by like inches so yeah uh He's a member of Talon. He was broken out of a facility where he was being held because he'd kind of gone a little um, cuckoo, for want of a better word. But uh, he is an astrophysicist and he's a volatile tank. He has the power to control gravity. Um, so his abilities are actually, they're kind of like, they're their tank abilities basically um someone in the chat channel sage time just said roadhog roadhog isn't affiliated with talon roadhog is just like his own thing along with junkrat they aren't they're doing their own thing so yeah this is the first guy who's like actually affiliated like with talon he's a member of talon so the way that he works is he has several different abilities uh he does have a barrier which is cool. Um, the way that that one works is it's a floating barrier. He propels it to a location of his choosing and he can dismiss it at any time. Um, he can freeze incoming projectiles in midair, converting those into shields, which is pretty great. That's an ability called Kinetic Grasp. Um, there's an ability, I don't know if I'm saying this word correctly, accretion? Yeah, accretion, like an accretion disc, yep. Right. Well, what he does is he gathers a mass of debris and he flings it at an enemy to knock them down, which is, again, it's pretty cool. These are all pretty cool abilities. Oh, he also has uh, hyperspheres. Those, he launches two gravitic gravi charges. They bounce off the walls and they implode after a short duration. Um, it To me, it feels like it's kind of like um, Junkrat with his little bombs that he throws out, that kind of thing. It... it it kind of works the same way where they bounce around and then they detonate. Um, and then his ultimate is called Gravatic Flux. And this is, it's its a different kind of ability. Basically, he takes flight, lifts his enemies into a targeted area, and then launches them into the sky before slamming them back down. So it like pulls everybody together, sort of like, um, oh my gosh. I can't remember her name now, and I feel really bad that I can't remember her name. The one with the pink hair. Zarya? Zarya, yes. It's sort of like her whole Graviton thing where she pulls everybody together, except that he pulls everybody together, lifts them up, and smacks them back down again and does a lot of damage at the, in the process. Um, he's got he's some cool... He's the Force Mage from Dragon Age 2. Yeah. He's got some really... Or like, uh, you know, in Mass Effect... When, uh, yeah, the, the adept abilities. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the stuff like that where you can like pick people up and fling them around. It's kind of like that kind of thing, only it pulls people together within an area. So it's like, it's this really cool set of abilities, and it's not like any tank that we've ever had before. There's like similarities to other tanks, but the way that they pulled it together, it's some pretty cool gameplay. There's also, some pretty thematically... cool. Isn't he thematically like the first since we had? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it's Tracer is the only one they've had like that before, where they're straight up not human anymore. Like there's something weird and unusual about their. They actually have superhuman abilities. Well, I mean, Tracer actually Tracer's actually skipping through time. She's skipping. Like, through she has time. a device that controls it. 
And I yeah. mean, you've got Hammond, who is a hyper intelligent hamster and not human yeah. at all. But and but you've got he, Widowmaker, he's, he's, he's who, yeah. There's like Widowmaker doesn't seem to actually have any powers. Her mind has been changed. But yeah, but we they were talking about how stigma. like the reason she's got like the blue skin and stuff is because like her blood was frozen or so. I don't know. There's like there's like actual story to that. Um, yeah, I know that whole thing. But what gets me is these these two, Tracer and Sigma in particular, are straight up violating the laws of physics. Right. Every most of, most of the Overwatch characters, like with Hammond, you could, yeah, it's weird, but you could kind of say, okay, they genetically engineered a hamster. It's bizarre, but go with it. They made super intelligent gorillas. Okay, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> the cy- cyborg ninjas. That's we're getting weird, but it isn't actually. But, but Sigma is straight up violating the laws of physics everywhere he goes. Well, the and then you've got Reaper. Tw- Reaper is like. Reaper is turning into mist. So yeah, it's, Reaper too. Yeah, Reaper. We don't know what's going on with Reaper. That's pretty weird too. But Sigma, I find I like it because it pushes the I don't want to say fantasy, but the science fiction fantasy aspect of it. It pushes it a little further into the realm of actual comic books. Yeah, his this story is straight is, up supervillain. His story is kind of interesting because he was he was an astrophysicist and basically he was trying to devise a way to harness the power of gravity um and he conducted most of his studies from his lab in is it the hague i think that's how you pronounce it Hague, yeah okay because i yeah foreign words not my best sorry guys anyway uh so he was really really close to achieving that and he went to um an international space station to perform this experiment and it was basically his most important experiment ever but something went wrong and it triggered the brief formation of a black hole he was only exposed to that power for like a minute not even that but he suffered like really serious psychological damage because of it um and the area around him began experiencing like weird fluctuations in gravity peaking and dropping and they had to get him out of there when they brought him back to earth they quarantined him in a secret government facility um and he was basically raving about the patterns of the universe he had sustained a lot of psychic damage and then all of this gravatic stuff that was happening around him he was basically deemed unsafe and detained under the name subject sigma um so he just kind of retreated into his own mind because he didn't think that he'd see the outside world again but talon discovered his existence and they decided to break him out because they basically wanted to use him to further their plans um yeah there's one weird thing about this whole deal that that comes from a developer interview that that Jeff Kaplan did. Yeah, where they talk they're talking about how he doesn't have shoes. If you see him, he's floating around in his futuristic Talon battle armor, but he isn't wearing shoes. No, he's just got kind of like straps on his feet, sort of thing. Someone someone made the point, you know, what's with the deal? Why doesn't he have shoes? And the response was that it's part of the art design to to indicate that he'd been in an asylum, and that's just weird to me because yeah, they don't let you have like they they put usually like soft things on your feet and don't let you have shoelaces but you know they don't let you have advanced technological armor in in most mental health health care facilities they, either they don't give you a mech suit yeah that's so not that i'm aware get, anyway <laughs> i don't i don't get the whole you know he doesn't have shoes to point out that he's been in a mental institution it's like dude that's that's bizarre that is a strange thing to say it, i'm not saying you got to give him shoes i'm just saying 
that's a weird way to put that. Think more carefully the next time you start telling people why your guy doesn't have shoes. Just say it's a cool design element and be done. Don't don't link it to his asylum years. It's just it, that's an odd thing to say, guys. To me, I mean, okay, I think the character is cool. Like, I think his abilities are cool. Um, I am enchanted with his eyebrows. I think that they're fantastic. Uh, and I know that seems like a really weird thing to kind of fixate on, but I love his eyebrows. His eyebrows are just neat. Um, I, his voice actor is also amazing. Uh, the intro video for it was really interesting and kind of gripping. But at the same time, to me, it's, I don't know, the whole idea of, oh, somebody was doing some kind of research and then they totally went mad, mad scientists, da da da, da mentally unstable, da, da 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 So of course they joined the bad guys. It, it just no, kind of leaves you. a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. And I, I know somebody had mentioned this. I think it was Raids that mentioned this on Twitter. And to me, this is a much more compelling idea is that in his opening the black hole, he was replaced with like, an alternate version of himself that can't cope in our reality and that's why he's weird and I'm like yeah that works <laughs> and that that kind of yeah. like sets off the whole it offsets that whole yeah. idea of oh yeah he's a crazy guy that went like completely crazy and he's a danger to everybody and yeah. da 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 because I it's been it's been done it's been done so many times and I it's been overdone and I don't particularly care for it but that's just me. Yeah, I, I, I would have been fine with it being as simple as now that he actually has the power to manipulate gravity, he wants to do evil things with it. Because, you know, who knows? Who knows what you're going to do when you get the power to manipulate gravity? I don't. When I get the power to manipulate gravity, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. Um, so, but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, and now he's mad and he's being manipulated and it's just, yeah, okay, whatever. I just uh, like just, the idea but, of he opened a black hole and it was like there was a billion, billion alternate realities in there which kind of took him aback and like shattered him, but shattered him to the point where like there was an exchange with one of those alternates and that's who's kicking around on earth right now. <laughs> only nobody knows it. <laughs> like, the only problem I have with this idea is it's basically the plot of a Star Trek, the next generation episode. Well, it's also, you know, discovery in some ways, but at the same time, no, but it's literally the, the wharf episode where he was jumping from timeline to timeline. That's it's true. that episode. That's true. But the thing <laughs> is, is like, I would take, it's a good that. episode, so yeah. I would take that over. Here's a dude that just went crazy. I, I, I mad scientist. I would, I would take that over mad scientist, just because I think it's like a different kind of hook, and it's you know, interesting to me. I, I'm fine with mad scientist if it's mad scientist of the not so much out of their minds mad scientist as it is the I will do evil things because science is cool. I don't know why. Tackling I always like that maniacal Kafka esque. Yeah. 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 That's fine. That doesn't bother me. I know it's an old trope, but, you know, if you're going to have, uh, you know, it's got such luminaries as Dr. Doom in it. I'm okay with, you know, I'm in a time machine just to steal treasure from pirates. What? No, I totally did. Why don't you just go take the treasure off the ocean floor? Because then I wouldn't have a time machine. What's wrong with you? <laughs> obviously, the time machine was the easiest solution to this problem. Uh, yeah, obviously. He's got a yeah. time machine. I think he's cool, though, and I'm interested in seeing how he fits in with everything else and how his gameplay fits in with everything else. It's it it's really... We were overdue for another tank hero, honestly, I feel like. 
And well, then they just changed the meta. Like they just made it so it's two, two, two for all the roles. Yeah, that's the other thing. That. That's the other that thing was... that we need to talk about too, because it, it, that's another thing that's going on right now. Um, it's called role lock, is what it's called. And if you're, if you've played World of Warcraft, you know when you go into a five-person dungeon, there's usually a tank, a healer, and three DPS. That's how it's always worked. Overwatch never really had that kind of limitation. You could go in and pick whatever player you wanted because you could swap throughout the course of the game and you could swap from like a damage hero to a support hero to a whatever just depending on what what was going on and what was needed at the time. People are notoriously not... They don't like playing support necessarily or they don't like playing tank necessarily. They just want to pew, pew, pew. And I'm speaking as somebody who plays a rogue and has played a rogue for so long because I really enjoy DPS. <laughs> I started out as a healer and yeah, I, I like DPS so much more. But the thing is, is oftentimes it's kind of hard to get into groups when you're queuing and stuff like that um, because... There's so many people that like to play DPS out there. So Roll Lock, what Roll Lock is doing is it's going to force players to fill out a 2-2-2 two, two, two composition of heroes. So you get two support, two damage, two tanks. And that's it. Um, this is going to pretty much bury the GOATS composition that usually includes three tank heroes. It's just not going to be a thing anymore. Um, the important thing about this is... Yes, it's going to be implemented in competitive and quick play, but it's also going to be in Overwatch League, which is going to change things up substantially in Stage 4. And I'm kind of curious to see how the teams compensate for that. Um, I don't know how I feel about this necessarily. I mean, I get it because you want to make sure that those roles are filled so that you have like a consistent match set up and that kind of thing and you don't have a team that's lacking any support players at all, that kind of thing, um, which should, in theory, make for a better gameplay experience. But a lot of the reason why Overwatch was so hyped was the fact that you had that freedom to swap back and forth between whatever. So this is the first time that they've made this kind of like fundamental change to the structure of the game, really. Um, since they disabled people from choosing, like, the same hero over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah, what I find interesting is that it's basically an attempt to stop people from stacking tanks. Yeah. Which, if you... Imagine in World of Warcraft, if you showed up at a dungeon and everybody was with a tank, it's like, yeah, I'm going to tank too. I'm also going to tank. We're all tanking. Like, uh, what? We got three tanks and two DPS? Does anybody want to heal? Oh, oh no, no. No one's going to heal. Have you ever seen so an all-Death Knight raid? It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> they heal themselves, so it doesn't yeah. count. But it, it just, I find it interesting. I don't... Like, you, you've pointed out already that it is basically the biggest departure that Overwatch has seen. Like, it is... I honestly think it is bigger than... than than other changes they've made. Like, I, I think well, yeah, it is because the way, the way it works now is, yeah, you will still be able to swap heroes in the middle of a match, but only to the role that you have been assigned, that you've designated for yourself. So if you sign up as a support, you can swap heroes, but you can only swap to another support hero. And in between, you can change roles in between, like, maps, but, like... Once you're locked in on a map, that's your role for that map. So if you need, like, 
somebody to switch to, I don't know, like a bastion or you need somebody to switch to a mercy or something like you have to make sure that the person who's been assigned that role can make that switch. And yeah, it's, it it's makes definitely things not... a little more tricky. Yeah, like if, if in the past you enjoyed the flexibility of like saying, oh, this Reinhardt isn't working for me. I'm going to switch to Mercy and just heal people. And suddenly you had two healing players on a map that we only had one. That's not possible anymore because if you started on Reinhardt, then you're not switching. You're only going to switch to other tanks. You're going to switch to Roadhog or something. Or Sigma, since we just talked about him. You're not going to be Winston switching. Or Winston or Zarya, yeah. yeah. You're not going to be switching to a, a different role entirely because that's, no. you know. And that's, it's... I see why they did it. I do think there's going to be some serious backlash to this. Like people are not going to like it and yeah, we'll see how it works out um, in the actual gameplay. I do think that at some point they're going to come up with a play mode or an arcade mode that doesn't have it. Like, because people are going to want the freedom of being able to play, even if it annoyed people when like the entire opposite team turned into Hanzo, um, people are going to want that back. They're going to want to be able to do that. So we'll see what happens. And they are, I mean, they are adding things into it. You know how when you play World of Warcraft um, and occasionally there'll be like a high call for a healer. So if you queue up as a healer, you'll get like a little bonus thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they're going to do kind of the same thing where high demand roles in Overwatch, they'll occasionally get rewarded like with a loot box. Um, each role is going to have its own separate skill rating and placement matches. Um, and at, then at the end of the season, you'll be rewarded competitive points for like each role. It's basically, it's just, it's changing the face of how the game is played. And the fact that they are doing this for Overwatch League in between stages, that's kind of, because usually Overwatch League is like a patch or two behind what's going on in the main game. Not, not now they're going to actually implement the role lock for Overwatch League. So I'm kind of interested in seeing how that affects the standings and how that affects teams that have been relying really heavily on the GOATS comp. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I feel like there's going to be some kind of backlash about it, but I also feel like things will settle into place and everybody will be okay in the end. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's People a major change. Adjust, it's, but... it's, it's a major change. And they're going to have to look at some of these heroes that aren't, they weren't initially designated for one of those roles, you know? Um, I don't know. It's going to require some work. I'm interested in seeing how it all plays out. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, moving on to the next story we're going to talk about. This one's kind of speculative. It was based on the fact that Bloomberg, uh, Basically, instead of it becoming from either Disney or Activision, it comes from an investment firm that invests in both Disney and Activision. And they basically were like, well, if if anybody was going to buy Activision, now is a good time because their stock prices dropped. And Disney is a good, you know, a, good, a good choice to buy Activision because they've wanted a games publishing house for years. And every time they try and get one or start one, it doesn't work out. So a company like Activision that owns a lot of big properties would be a good fit. Yeah, this it. isn't this isn't coming from anybody at either company. It's coming from somebody that invests in both companies saying, yeah, oh, hey, and, wouldn't this be a good idea? Yeah. And to be fair, he's not the only person speculating about a company buying Activision. Apple is another company that people have been speculating about buying Activision for a while. Um, and in both cases, the reason they would be buying Activision, and I'm going to say this because Blizzard fans often forget this. The reason that people would want to buy Activision is King dot com it's yep. candy crush it's mobile yep. games 
Yeah. Because gaming made something like $160 billion last year, and the majority of that money was in mobile gaming. That's where the money is. That's why everybody is looking at mobile. The next time you, you're like, mobile gaming isn't real gaming, mobile gaming is what's paying the bills. It's why companies are still around. It is making a ton of money. You say and... that mobile gaming isn't real gaming, but if you go look at the app store, at the games that are available on the app store, oh yeah, it's a real thing. It's a big thing, and it's a huge yeah. moneymaker because people may not have you know, the high-end PC with the with the graphics card that can play the good games or the laptop that can afford to, like, you know, that has the resources that can play these high-power games, but almost everyone in the world has a cell phone, including kids. And whether it's Android or iPhone or what have you, they all yeah. can run games, you know? But that's the thing. The, the, the talk is entirely coming from the investors. And it makes sense that they would talk about it, but nobody at, at Blizzard or Activision has, has said anything about getting bought, and nobody at Disney has said, we should buy Activision, that we know of. However, the, the, the article made a good point, that there is a connection between Activision, Blizzard, and Disney. And that connection is the Overwatch League. Yeah. And the Overwatch League is another thing that might attract a purchase. Because right now, the Overwatch League is like the biggest esports thing on the planet. Like it's not, you know, we're not talking about like Twitch streaming and stuff. That's all true. And there's lots of various games being streamed on Twitch, many of which are like Fortnite or Apex Legends or what have you. But Overwatch League is mainstream. It's it's on multiple Disney networks. It's it's being shown on ESPN. Sometimes it's straight up on ABC. That's they were showing it huge... on Disney at some point last year, weren't they, with the yeah. finals? Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's not only is that a point of connection between the two companies, which sometimes is all you need, it's attractive from a Disney is a company that makes its bread and butter acquiring properties and then, you know, marketing them. That's what Disney is really good at. Before Disney bought Marvel, you didn't know, you know, Iron Man was a character I knew about and knew about because we read comic books, but he wasn't big. It is impossible to understate how big these these properties have become since Disney bought Marvel. It's been really weird, really mm -hmm. yeah. weird, and and everybody thinks about it as like commonplace now because you you know you have all these TV series and stuff with like Marvel superheroes and and DC superheroes. You know, there's like all kinds of stuff out there about comic books and comic book characters, and everybody just thinks that they're super rad and everything. But like when I was in high school, we had one comic shop in town. And it was where the dorks hung out, which is where I was. I used to draw artwork and stuff to decorate her store. She was really cool. She used to put things aside for me that she thought I would like. Um, but yeah, it, it, it it's very odd coming from a space where I have in my closet right now, like a ton of comics, mostly ElfQuest, but I have like a bunch of Green Arrow too, and early Birds of Prey and early Batman um, just the various Batman titles. There was a billion different Batman titles out there, and I have, like, a bunch of them. Legends of the Dark Knight was one of my favorites, but, like, um, when I was purchasing those, it wasn't a popular thing to be doing. Like, people really weren't... It, it, it definitely... There was no... Mm -mm. When they made a movie about this stuff, it was terrible. Yeah. Like, 
If I want you to look up the two previous Captain America franchises oh, to see no. just how bad. Maybe you First shouldn't. Off, Captain America, <laughs> surfer Captain America in a van riding. You, his costume was a helmet. Okay. <laughs> and then they decided to make a more more comic book accurate one where the Red Skull was Italian. It was so and, bad. Yeah, like so. Marvel has done a lot. There's a Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie out there where David Hasselhoff plays Nick Fury. And you go back okay? to like, you go back to like, I mean, even like the 19, was it the 1950s or 60s? The Batman, it was 60s, wasn't it? Batman yeah, series with Batman Adam West. Series. It was so kooky and, and it embraced the whole kooky. And that's how everybody looked at comics was it was this thing that you just kind of laughed at because it was so stupid, right? Only it wasn't. And- like comics had yeah. really good storylines and stuff. Some oh, oh man, I remember the first time I read Sandman, I was just blown away because the story in it is so so good, and people just kind of miss this kind of stuff. I even remember like at the local library, you could get graphic novels, but if you did, the librarians would kind of like give you a dirty look. It was like they carried that stuff, but they didn't really approve of it or whatever. Um. And there were some bookstores that didn't carry graphic novels at all because they were, like, not real books or whatever. It's just when all of this stuff started taking off. And then when they came out with Iron Man, it just detonated. I mean, and, in popularity. Yeah. And w- the thing about Disney, if they if they were to seriously buy Activision Blizzard, and if they bought it and then kept it, which is another thing, companies tend to chop up other companies when they buy them. So it's possible they would sell part of it off. But if they bought and kept it, they would then own the call of duty franchise. They would own all of King.com stuff, including the candy crush saga and all the other candy crush games. They would own every franchise that blizzard owns. See right now, Disney licenses its games. Like it, it licenses its properties out to games. That's why there's a Star Wars game coming out from EA. And there have been several others from EA. If they bought Activision Blizzard, they would basically have their own EA that they would own. And that is attractive if you want to get into the gaming front. $152 billion a year, every year. That's the, the amount of money being generated by gaming. If you can get yourself in there with a big working publisher that you don't have to do anything you don't have to all you need to do is own them that's how much is that worth is that worth 10 billion is that worth 20 billion at what point is it worth it for your company to do it for disney the question just becomes a matter of finance they right now what they've been doing their last couple of acquisitions they've been expanding what they own for their streaming service yeah and if you look at their streaming service right now, it's going to have a lot of stuff because they own the entire 20th century Fox library. Now I did a little thing where I looked at all the uh, movies, the, the biggest, the top 10 biggest box office grossing movies uh, ever adjusted for inflation to top 10, eight of them are now owned by Disney in whole or in part. And the thing is, is this is something that it, it's a very clever move on their part because they see what sites like Netflix and Hulu are doing and bringing in and what kind of powerhouses they've become in the face of network television, which, I mean, how many people do you know that have cable right now? I have cable because that's how I get my internet. I don't watch cable. Okay. Like, we, yeah, it's basically... We cut off If it weren't for cable, cable internet, I we wouldn't just, have it. We weren't watching it. We weren't watching it at all. And the thing is, is like, we cut off our cable and then we signed up um, with Hulu and Netflix because honestly that's all we needed we don't we don't yeah. need the whole network TV thing 
um, it's not it's easier to just you know a la carte pick the streaming service that has the stuff on it that you want and call it a day um so disney wanted to do their own streaming thing but the thing is is it's like when you have a limited library of stuff that you can offer for streaming and disney does have like a huge library but most of it is like you know family friendly material that kind of thing you want to have other stuff that can pull people in Marvel will pull people in if it has yeah, proven Marvel, anything in the Star last... Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it will pull people in. So they have like this powerhouse that all of a sudden, you know, paying a subscription for Disney streaming service, that actually sounds like a really appealing idea to a lot of people. Imagine if they actually owned Activision Blizzard. Yeah. Not just for the game stuff, but I'm going to just... I'll just talk about something that's going on recently. The Witcher is coming out on Netflix. Yep. And everybody's really excited. And the thing is, is they, I know The Witcher was a series of novels before it became a game. I know that. But let's be real here. And, and I'm not insulting the, the author of those books in any way. I'm, I'm sure you're a talented artist and a good person, but that's got nothing to do with this. The games became how people know The Witcher. Straight up, it is the games that made it a global phenomenon. The books and are it very because... good, but they are also very heavy material Mm -hmm. they they aren't necessarily everybody's cup of tea it's sort of like game of thrones game of thrones like the books i can't really get into the books so much the game of thrones books they're just i'm sorry there's just too much to them um and it's not my cup of tea did i get into the tv show oh yeah absolutely and i think that that's i've said it for years it's it's always been amazing to me that there hasn't been and activision has talked about wanting to do it activision has talked about doing a studio to do stuff like uh, an, an animated series. And we keep seeing cool animation coming out of Blizzard and coming out of other Activision th- companies. The Wrath short, the various Overwatch ones, the cinematics that Blizzard makes for World of Warcraft. There's a lot of really great visual storytelling coming out of them. If Disney owned it, you're telling me Disney couldn't come up with a, a use for it? Oh my God. They Can could you come imagine up with an Overwatch it. animated series powered by Disney? I mean, yeah. come it on. It would not be a problem. Yeah. There are... Of course, I, I get, I, there are problems with this. My biggest problem yeah. is that at this point, Disney, owns, like I said, Disney owns eight of the top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. Like if you go to a list of the top 10, you look, you know, it says, you know, Walt Disney Company, Marvel Studios, Fox, nope, those are all Disney now. If you see those, those words, it's a Disney property. Um, Titanic is partly owned by Disney because Titanic, while it was Paramount, was also 20th Century Fox. So they're everywhere they're so i don't want to see a video game world where in the future everybody is owned by disney and that could happen disney does have enough money at this point they probably could buy ea activision bethesda they could probably buy them all ubisoft if they really wanted to they could probably do it i don't want to see that future but it is something to talk about and think about here because somebody is going to eventually buy some big company if it's not disney it'll probably be apple someone's going to buy somebody because the mobile gaming is only going to get bigger. It's money that people are going to be looking for. And the the audience is going to expand. It's expanded every year. Video game money has expanded every year for the past decade. So sooner or later, someone's going to buy somebody. Yeah. I I think, I think for me personally, the idea of Disney owning Blizzard isn't exactly the most thrilling idea in my eyes, because anytime I see a company buying another company, my mind automatically goes to creative rights and that kind of thing. 
and mm. the freedom and to Disney create. Disney sharks about that. Yeah. Yeah. Disney the, are the freedom, sharks about that. The freedom to create and develop what you want to create and develop. And honestly, if I were to see anything, I would love Blizzard. I would love it if Blizzard would just like get out from the Activision umbrella altogether and become its own thing again. But that's just me. I know Activision has like, done a yeah. lot for Blizzard, but I feel like I feel like they could be doing more on their own. See, I don't. Bungie well, did my it. Thing about that, yeah, <laughs> my thing about that is always going to be the same thing. It's not the same between Bungie and Blizzard because Blizzard's never been an independent entity. Yeah, it's always been owned by somebody, except when it was Silicon and Synapse. I mean, that's yeah. we're talking. They've been owned by like Vivendi wasn't exactly the the, go- the golden times of corporate ownership. But no, you can make a case that being ignored by your parent company is better than them being too involved. I feel like Vivendi was way more hands off than Activision is. So yeah, that's that's probably a true statement. I don't know. Like I, I don't disagree with you that I wouldn't mind seeing Blizzard independent. I just don't think it's very likely. I I don't think Activision is ever going to want to lose. Think about the fact that you can, if you're Activision's board of directors, you can say that you own the following franchises, Warcraft, Starcraft, Diablo, Overwatch. Yeah. You're going to want to let those go. And even I wouldn't want to let them go. Yeah. Hearthstone. When we talk about mobile stuff. Hearthstone's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Hearthstone has millions upon millions of players. I mean, it's just, it's not, something i imagine them ever letting go of it's just it's in the words of crusty the crown it's the sweetest plum there's just no way so i can i can more easily imagine somebody else buying activision than i can imagine activision deciding we're gonna let blizzard leave because no, you'd have to pay them a godly amount of money i, I just you, like the fact that you quoted crusty the clown yes <laughs> <I'm> sorry <laughs> But okay. yeah, that's we probably talked about this one more than we need to, so we should probably move on to the last bit of news. Yeah. Um, if you guys have been playing in patch 8.2 and you've gotten your your various essences working on your new, your heart of Azeroth, the new system where you get various buffs to your heart based on the the, the various dragon flights and so forth, um, it's a cool system, and the TPS aspects of it are really really cool. And as one might have expected, the DPS aspects of it scale a lot better than the threat aspects and that the threat aspects didn't scale at all. And this is pretty much you predicted this happening like what a year yeah. ago or something. They've they made some several fundamental under the hood changes of tanking to make tanking I'm just going to say it to make tanking harder. They wanted to make threat more to make of an issue. Tanking that, and I'm air quoting here interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I said at the time, I said back when the beta wasn't even done yet on on Battle for Azeroth that eventually if they do this, they're going to end up having to to adjust in the other direction. It's going to exactly like it was at the end of every expansion. And I think it would have gotten there by the end of this expansion, even if they hadn't introduced essences. But the thing about essences is they exacerbated the problem because the essences really can jack up your damage. If you get the right combination of essences and you do the right the fight a certain way, you can really increase your damage. You can just completely annihilate the, the the tanks threat lead. And it's absolutely a delight when you're a DPS until the point that you pull threat. <laughs> yeah, and there's just not, it's not a case of the tank being bad. The tank cannot hold threat. It's just not possible. It's not mathematically possible. There's, they cannot put out enough threat to keep up it with your It is not in the programming. <laughs> yeah. So when that happens, and the over, uh, Wowhead today did a really interesting post where they sat down and actually analyzed the hotfix and looked at the uh, 
amount of threat that's actually being generated by the hotfix and the buffs to the essences. And um, try, again, trying to put this nicely, because I do love you guys at Blizzard, and I think you guys work really hard and you do good work, but um, this hotfix didn't do the job, and you're going to have threat getting pulled anyway. The amount of threat getting from the hotfix is not sufficient, in my opinion. So I'm just going to say it. I'll say it now, and you guys do what you do with it later. You're going to need to adjust threat across the board. Uh, two of the things they did was one was that they reduced tank, they did reduce taunt threat. And the reason they reduced taunt threat, one of the things that taunt did is when you, this has been for a couple expansions now, when you taunt, it gives you a huge threat boost. Your threat generation goes way up. It's a spike. Yeah. And the reason they did that was because with stuff like vengeance, which was around for quite a while, tank, tank DPS and thus tank threat was so high that a new tank trying to taunt something off of you He'd taunt, the thing would go to him for a few seconds, and as soon as the, the taunt wore off, it would go right back to the first tank. Yeah, they couldn't, I, they couldn't, in a single taunt, they couldn't do enough damage to compensate for the damage that the other tank had already done. Yeah, there just wasn't any way without the threat boost. And so at the time, Lore said that that, didn't, that wasn't necessary anymore because tanks hadn't had a vengeance-like mechanic in a couple expansions. And he was right, but... It wasn't necessary for that reason. However, it was still necessary for a lot of other reasons, like the fact that DPS threat had been steadily going up. And yes, making it so you feel like you have to taunt on rotation to get the threat boost is not a good feeling. So they nerfed the threat boost so people wouldn't feel like they had to do that to get threat. You don't want people to have to hit taunt on cooldown. You want them to save taunt. You want them to use taunt like oh i need to pull it over here it's a strategic thing threat. not yeah. an automatic thing it shouldn't be rotational and i i agree with that statement it shouldn't be rotational but the idea of that that means you should just lower the threat coefficient on it no you should boost the threat coefficient otherwise they went in the wrong direction this expansion and i do feel it was very much influenced by taking a look at a classic and what people liked in classic and what people say they liked in classic because here's the thing everybody talks about old day tanking like it was some great era but i did it <laughs> i tanked then and it was some a great era. <laughs> yeah i hated it I was a nervous wreck. I still am a nervous wreck when I tank because in my head, I'm still tanking in 2005 when I have to wait for three how you sunders. tanked in Classic? You mm -hmm. played a warrior. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. You played a warrior. Maybe maybe you were a druid and like we... You know, we had a, we had a druid who decided he wanted to bear tank Geddon and we let him do it as a joke because we knew he would die almost immediately. And, and we, we worked our hardest. Like I kept him up for like a good minute or two. But yeah, it just wasn't there. It, it was... Yeah. You wanted to be a warrior with a shield and don't even talk about paladins because they were just there to cast buffs. That's it. Yeah, Th there's there's a lot of stuff that is better in the memory than in execution. And I think even with the fact that most of the, the, we have a bunch of tanks now we have, I think at this point, I think we're up to five, no six, right? We uh, have warrior, paladin, druid, death knight, demon monk. hunter, and monk. We have six and, tanks. Yeah. Right demon now. hunter. I forgot about demon hunter. So six. So yeah. we have six tanks and they're all reasonably viable. I think this expansion, um, some are stronger than others. Certainly that's usually the case, but they're all reasonably viable and it's great. And it's a vast improvement. But I really feel like trying to go backwards on threat, trying to make it 
When you brought in active mitigation, you changed the way tanking works. You yeah. made tanking about resource management and staying alive. And now throwing threat management on top of that is making tanking overly complex. And there's a reason that people are not wanting to tank. And it's because there's a, a level of work that's already goes into it. It's a level of complexity in terms of I have to make polls. I have to make calls. I have to tell the group what to do. And then you add into that, you know, the, the complexities of threat management in of itself already makes the job more complex. It's but it not also means, easy to do yeah, at all. It also means that once threat management is an issue, that you have to keep threat and DPS right next to each other. If tank threat doesn't scale with something and DPS does, then it will be broken instantly because there will always be that DPS who figures out how to exploit. And I don't mean in a, in a game breaking way, they're using the game exactly as you made it, but they look at the various things that you've put in and say, Oh, if I combine this one with this one, with this one, I can do this. Look at all that DPS. I'm a God. I feel great. Why am I being murdered? Yeah. Because that's always going to happen. It has happened every single expansion. It happened with, you know, DPS players in wrath stacking armor pen. And stacking there was it and a stacking reason it. why you waited for five Sunders in Classic. Yeah. And the fact that they had to hotfix this isn't a surprise. Neither is the fact that it doesn't look like it's actually going to do the job and they're going to need to hotfix it again or just straight up come up with another design that, that increases tank threat. Um, that's just going to be the way of it. As long as you make tanking threat an issue and you, it's almost impossible to make it scale the same way DPS does because you're trying to throw in coefficients. You want to keep tank DPS low. That in of itself is a problem for me. But if that's what you're trying to do, if you want to keep tank DPS low so that they're not competition for DPS players, they don't have the survivability and the DPS, then you're going to always run into this exact same problem. If you aren't going to make them pump out the same amount of damage as a DPS, you need to make sure that the damage that they do pulls enough threat yeah. That they can you, you hold mind. it off of somebody who's just being a cannon. And, and you don't have to put out more threat than the entire raid. That's the thing people often think, well, I have to out-threat everybody. No, you don't. You just have to out-threat the guy who has the most threat <laughs> the beside top, you. The you, top three yeah. or four people on a DPS chart, those are the ones you had to watch out for. Yeah. But you don't have to beat everybody. You don't have to assume... Threat doesn't have to be so monstrously huge that nobody could ever pull it off of you. I agree with that statement. I agree with that design philosophy. But if you are going to do this, then it is paramount that tanking threat always be scaling at the same level as DPS. And it never, ever does. And it never, ever will. Because DPS those... threat is basic. You know, you want to know how much threat you're doing? Look at your DPS. That's yeah. how much threat you're doing. With a tank, my threats, you know, my DPS is in a is in the toaster. I, I'm doing nothing, but I still hold threat because there's complicated coefficients going on that I don't really understand. Once you make it about that, you need to make, keep them balanced. And I and, mean, I understand why they want to like tweak it and stuff. And I understand like why they made the changes for battle for us. They wanted to make tanking a little different. They wanted to keep it entertaining, all that other stuff. But in doing so, they kind of, squash the joy out of it really because you're watching so many different things it's like it's like herding cats I will, i'll always admit this back during like um warlords and legion especially warlords 
Well, you, we did dungeon runs in, in both of those expansions. Like you were in dungeons yeah. with me. You saw me tank them. Yeah. There would always get to be a point where I would hit the threat threshold where none of you could touch me. That would always happen. When I got there, I'd know it. And then I could just relax and I could, I could tank without even thinking about threat, without it even being a concern. If you don't want that to be the way the game plays, then these adjustments were necessary. And, and for I, me, as like a DPS player that's been playing since Classic, I know that you don't go, I guess I can say this, you don't go balls out like the second that the tank pulls. You can't Unless you're a mage that. and you want to pull with Pyroblast because they all do. Yeah, but the thing is, is like, you know, as a rogue, yeah, I have evasion. So if it turns to me, I have an oh no button that I can hit. I have evasion. I have vanish. I have I have like a couple of different. I have faint. There's there's like several different things that I can use to mitigate that. But for me as a player, remembering what it was like in classic, well, in vanilla, I'm going to keep calling it vanilla because the thing is, is classic is the thing that's coming out next month. Vanilla is the thing that I played back in what 2002, whatever. Um, 2004. 2004. 2004 yeah, somewhere in there. Don't make it older than it is. <laughs> <laughs> it all blurs together, Rossi. Anyway, so as a player that played back then, I was always really cognizant about threat and pulling threat, particularly since I spent a large part of vanilla playing a healer you don't want to pull threat when you're a healer that's that's just disaster waiting to happen so unless you know... unless you're in like serpent shrine caverns on that one boss where you're trying to get all the murlocs to attack that one paladin healer yeah yeah there were some weird strategies yeah. guys the threat yeah. was, threats always been messed up it, it's just it's one of those things where it's i mean i played a priest so i was basically tissue paper <laughs> <laughs> and you had fade that you could hit if they turned towards you and that would get them off of you for a sec but you didn't have vanish and if they came to hit you you were just you were toast you were a smear on the pavement so you really had to watch for that kind of thing and you had to watch for that kind of thing as a dps player too so i'm i've always been of the opinion that i can catch up on the dps chart relatively quickly particularly late in expansions because every time the later you get in, a, in an expansion the more dps the dps is going to pump out and by the end of the expansion it i always felt like a little god and it, i i don't think there's ever been an expansion where i didn't feel like that there comes a point where the gear that you get is so good and everything else is scaling so good that you just smash everything that you run into like it's in never like grass. that mm -hmm. It's yeah. n it's never like that at the beginning of the expansion. So the beginning of the expansion, it's a little bit easier. But as the expansion goes on, you know, you get people who are definitely, you know, they're min-maxing so that they can do the, you know, pump out the highest amounts of damage. That's what a DPS is supposed to do. But when they don't do anything to the tanks to compensate, it just makes their job harder. Like you come out of, ex I imagine you come out of expansions feeling exhausted. <laughs> It depends on the expansion. Cause like I said, the past couple of years, tanks scaled well. Like in Legion in particular, tanks scaled fine. Uh, it wasn't a problem. Legion was but great. going back, Cataclysm, at the end of Cataclysm, I, I couldn't keep playing. Like I stopped. I went over to another guild and played with them for a while just because I couldn't take it. I was like, nope, I can't do this. It's just, I've had, I basically had to carry the last couple of fights on my back 
and I got to go someplace where I don't have to do that. I you can't. did so good on Spino Deathwing, though. Yeah. It, yeah you did, did so good was... about being quiet on Vent and not expressing the sheer panic that I knew you were going through. Yeah, I was just not talking. <laughs> oh. like, but yeah, I think at this point, we've basically said all we need to say on this subject. Yeah. If you want to do any emails, we better get to some of them because, once again, we managed to talk for most of the show. That's okay. Uh, Let's go. Uh, if you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with subject line podcast at blizzardwatch so we know it's for the show and reads them for us. So if you don't mind, Dan, take it away. And speaking of which, guys, we could really use some emails. We don't actually have anything in the backlog for this show. So if you have any questions about anything Blizzard related, please feel free to drop us a line. You can also uh, drop us a note in Discord as well because we do take questions from there. Anyway, uh, first one is from Arulian who says... Is Mechagon all that horrifying when we see what the gnomes did to the city of Gnomeregon? I don't think we can call that one the gnomes did it. A gnome did it. But that's yeah. like saying all all elves are responsible for the actions of one elf or all humans are responsible for the actions of Garethos. Um, that's not really a fair thing to say. Sicko Thermoplug was a madman and he irradiated his own city that he lived in and that he still he lived in you know he afterwards. wasn't initially he was just really power hungry but once he let that radiation out it kind of fiddled with his brain and yeah made he's a lot basically worse. The, si- the sigma of nomergon he's the sigma um, of the gnomes <laughs> yeah but i don't think it's fair to say the gnomes did that to nomergon most of the gnomes are the ones it was done to they they didn't whereas mechagon is a whole lot of people who have been convinced that it is okay to just chop them up piece by piece and just stick new parts. It's the body horror is a lot stronger in no in in Mechagon than it is in Nomer. In Nomer, it's just people getting irradiated and having trogs show up and do awful stuff to them. Honestly, if it, I were going to point to anything to kind of correlate it with, I would go back to Gearmaster Mechazod in Borea yeah. Tundra. Mm-hmm. Mechazod without the means. Like, this is a guy who likes Mechazod's ideas, but can't actually do it, so he's chopping people up. Um, yeah, I, I gotta give it to Mechagon way above Nomer. I kind of I kind of have to wonder, though, sometimes how Thermoplug would have reacted to Mechagon if he would have viewed it as, like, a cool thing or a not cool thing. I think he'd been trying to take it over within, like, the first 20 seconds. You think? And, and oh yeah, he'd love that kind of thing. He, he, he'd look at... Jealousy and bitterness drove him crazy when he was just dealing with, you know, um, oh God, I cannot remember the name of the head of Mechagon. That's in, in of, Trogs. Nomergons. No, Nomergon. The, the the head of the Gelbin Mechatork. There we go. Oh, Mechatork, uh, yeah. <laughs> his, his jealousy of Mechatork was so intense that he did all that. He helped get the Trogs to invade. He then irradiated the city. That was all because he was jealous of one guy. Can you imagine how jealous he'd be of King Mechagon? who looks like he's actually a technological god who's got a city way more advanced. Oh, yeah. No, he'd be trying to take you, that thing over. Do you over feel like he'd be first in line for, like, the upgrades? I don't know, because he didn't... He doesn't seem to be down on himself. I mean, then again, I don't know. Like, he might need upgrades after the last story. Like, didn't he get, like, almost chopped in half and we don't see what happens to him? The next time he shows up, he might have robotic legs. I know his family's involved in the Gnome Heritage Armor quest, but I haven't done it because I don't have a gnome at that max level yet. So, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that in the long run, was Nomer, was what happened to Nomergon kind of creepy? Yeah, but it wasn't. It was more horrifying 
than creepy. And what's going on in Mechagon is just downright creepy because it's these little creations trying to take their own creation back for themselves and doing it in terrible, terrible ways. And yeah, I Mechagon to me, okay, Nomergon is like irradiation and all of that, but Mechagon is like <laughs> Attack of the Cybermen. <laughs> it's like on another level altogether. Um, and, and they're very... Um, smart cybermen who are it's it's just mechagon's kind of weird i'm running out of words i'm sorry but maybe we should go to the next email honestly you should probably do the last one since we don't have a ton of time left and the last one looks to be the easiest one to answer oh okay we'll go ahead and do that uh this was originally a q question but honestly uh the subject matter is interesting enough that I figured you know what this fits the show better and this was from Vulcan who asked do you think Blizzard should add new classes in future expansions new races allied or not give more life and flavor to the game but I think we've reached the saturation point with classes unless they start thinking out of the box and adding classes with unconventional roles like bards buffers etc I have been thinking about this one since before they added demon hunters and we had a long conversation about this as far as like allied no. races, but instead of allied races, do allied classes kind of thing. Yeah, like class skins or whatever. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, other people who stream videos on YouTube even talked about us talking about it. So um, that's a that's a Hi shameless guys. subtext pun. Yeah, but going back to it, like one of the things I think the Demon Hunters really showed was that we have reached a point where any future class is going to steal things from classes we currently have like i can't looking at the demon hunter i i objectively get why why warlocks got mad i get oh, yeah. it i understand because the one entire warlock one entire demon hunter spec is basically just cool warlock stuff amped up to 11 that warlocks don't have anymore <laughs> bye bye like, demonology <laughs> yeah and i don't i don't dislike demon hunters i think they're really great and fun to play but they, if you're a warlock, yeah, that's like seeing it, it. It, I had a similar feeling when Death Knights came out. Warriors had a dream for years that arms warriors would get to tank with just a two-handed weapon. It was a dream. Blizzard heard that dream and like, yeah, players really want to do that, so we'll give it to Demon Hunt to Death Knights, and they did. And Death Knights do that. And if you were a warrior player, you either rerolled Death Knight or you just stared forlornly at your shield for a while, sighed, and went back to tanking with a shield. And speaking those... as a rogue, we gave monks the biggest side eye when they came out because it was mm-hmm. like, oh, here's somebody that can do DPS on our level, but they can also tank and they can heal. Great. Yeah. And they do it with our the same gear as we wear. Very, and a lot very of the same... well. And they have the whole energy regen. It just they were like really well balanced in the in the system that worked with like chi and energy and everything else was really it felt really fluid and good. And it was like, why didn't you guys do any of this to rogues? And yeah, there there was kind of it was kind of the same feeling. And it's and it's like that any time they introduce a new class, I feel. And I think it's getting to the point where it's very hard to to slide in something that we don't already have. I, I don't I don't think going buffer would really help because we have buffers. We just have them spread out across multiple classes. Um, making a class that's all about buffing other people is a recipe for I never want to play this guy solo. I only want to play him with other people. And 
what happens when you don't have other people to play? You don't want to play that character. Thematically, it's a cool idea. And I know I've been long been a proponent of a bard, like a bard type class that like was um, built around this idea of buffing other people. So rather than playing your character, you're you're like you're playing everybody's character because you're putting out like the buffs and debuffs that help them do what they need to do. And that sounds kind of cool to me as an idea. But then when I think about it, it's like, well, how does a bard solo anything then? How do they play on their own? What do they do? And that's where you run into problems like that for classes that are just buff-based classes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's sort of like that with paladins back in vanilla. Leveling a paladin Paladin. back in vanilla was not the most fun task in the world. (laughs) I remember, like, I played my very first WoW character was a paladin. And I played him for about a month. Yep. And then Blizzard realized they'd made a bug on the way judgments and seals worked. And they fixed it. And paladin DPS dropped like a rock. Yep. And suddenly they weren't, like, they weren't strong anymore. And a lot of us were like, nope, not going to continue playing this. And that's... Paladins were in a really bad place in vanilla. They they got a lot better sense. That, I mean, I don't personally like them, but they're a much stronger class now. They but really blossomed hard. in Burning Crusade. Yeah, they did. And I don't I don't want to see any class in a position where they're not fun to play on their own. Like you really have to be with other people. It's cool the idea that you could buff other people and make them stronger, but I think if they were going to do a bard, they should actually steal the 5e bard the D&D 5e bard you think where it's was less about buffing other people although that certainly is a part of it and it's more about what do you need do we need a healer okay i can do some heals do we need ranged magical dps i can do that do we need like an archer okay i can play that role um do we need a frontline fighter i can't take too many hits but i can get up there and mix it in and do some stabbing and they're like they're not better than anybody at anything but they're good at just about anything. <laughs> You're describing the vanilla druid, the one that they always said was jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. yeah. The problem with the vanilla druid was you couldn't do it all without jumping through serious hoops. Yeah. And I think like the time might have come to put in a class where you can just do it and not worry about it. Maybe a, imagine a class that only had one spec because that spec was so variable that it yeah. didn't need to spec into three different specs. But I don't honestly know. I think at this point, WoW does kind of have class and role saturation. There are 36 specs. There are the, 36 the specs. only thing, the only thing that I think that they could use another of is range DPS. And that's it. Like, a pure like range a male, DPS, yeah. A male wearing class, because there aren't that many of those, that's a range DPS. Well, yeah, right now for leather, we've got monks, druids, demon hunters, and rogues. Yes. Plate's got three. Yeah, Plate's got three. Um, Cloth only has two that I'm thinking of. Three. You've got priests, you've got warlocks, you've got mages. Thank you, yes. Okay. I forgot priests. I don't know what I thought priests wore. But yeah, it's so it's three cloth, <laughs> three plate. paper mostly. <laughs> yeah. Four leather and two male. Just shamans and hunters. So I think you're right in that a, a nice, there, there could be a good... I could almost see going like a, a a tank or heal and range DPS option with like something with mail. I don't feel like the thing is is like we don't the, need any more tanks we, yeah, or I any don't, more healers. Really. I don't think we need any more tanks or healers because we got. I mean, Ooh. I feel like we and, filled those roles sufficiently. DPS. Just I mean, just do double DPS. Although we don't really need another melee DPS either because we have a lot of them. 
Um, I think of specs that do DPS, I think every single one except the cloth classes have a melee spec. Like there's two melee DPS specs for warriors, one for paladins, two for demon for death knights, one for demon hunters, three for rogues. Um, I'm wondering one... if that's how you could do the whole buff bot angle if you made it like two specs and one of them was ranged DPS and the other one was buffing. Maybe that's a possibility because you could always switch. But then again, I don't. People don't like the idea of having to switch specs to do things. Yeah, and I'm I'm one of those people. Like I said, I think it's an interesting idea because I like the idea of playing a raid like a puppet, like like you're the one pulling the strings and making sure that people are doing. To me, that seems like a fascinating concept. But I don't think that that's something that would appeal to everybody because most people are concerned with, okay, am I pulling enough threat? Or am I making sure everybody's alive? Or am I putting out as much damage as possible? And the idea of just, like, buffing people isn't necessarily, like, the most appealing thing to everyone. Because there's no quantifying way to show or demonstrate that you're doing a good job, necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, like... The DPS will be counted as the other person's. You can't really say, well, 10% of everybody's DPS is mine because I yeah. buffed them. And so when you, you can't you quantify and you can't measure something, this all this all came into play with... No, nah, I mean, DPS charts have always been there, but I feel like Wrath of the Lich King is really where the whole quantifying aspect of things took off because you had gear score, and then that came out with like eye levels and things like that where people would look at your gear and they would choose that, that kind of quantifier to make a snap judgment on okay you're a good player or you're not a good player based on your numbers and if there's no numeric or intrinsic value that you can measure with a class like a bard why would anybody want one or why would anybody want to play one you know there's nothing you can show off to impress people i guess yeah that, that it certainly would be a problem with it I, I don't know. I do feel like at this point we have 36 specs. We've got like six tanks. We've got like five healers, if I'm not incorrect, of going with monk, uh, paladin, druid, monk, paladin, priest, druid, priest, shaman, uh, shaman, shaman. So yeah, we've got five healers. Which, you know, druid, priests actually have two healing specs. Yeah. Um. So we've got five healers. We've got six tanks. Uh, I feel like. We you have know, so gotta, much melee DPS. Yeah, it's a pile. Like, and the range, pure range DPS is Hunters. Uh, and Hunters even have a melee spec now. But Hunters, Warlocks, Mages. And then we have, like, what? Um, one Shaman spec, one Druid spec. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like, I can't think of anybody else. It's not like Monks don't have one. No. So, yeah, I do feel like you're right that range DPS is a possibility. And I, I don't wouldn't I don't think it'd be bad to have one more healer either, for that matter. Like Oh, and Shadow Priest, somebody pointed Sage Time pointed out in the chat channel. Shadow, Shadow Priest, Priest yes. yeah. There's another range DPS for you, but yeah. There's Shadow Priest actually used to kind of be sort of a weird combination of a buffer and a jack of all trades. Yeah, a little where bit. The damage they did would actually help other people gain mana back and do more damage. And so there's there's ways to do it where you still have damage and you can still do stuff, but I feel like at this point we kind of are getting real close to class saturation if we're not there already. And I do think the idea of class skins or, you know, you know, classes where it's, you're still a warrior, but you, you have the, the, the kit that makes you look like a spellbreaker versus the kit that makes you look like a mountain, you know, the mountain King. And it's based on your heritage, like the heritage armor, but for classes, I think that'd probably be a good way to go for the future, but we'll see what they do. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. 
I think that's going to wrap us up for emails because we're actually like over time a little bit, but that's what we get for talking about news for so long. So <laughs> Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Thank you, Anne. Again, guys, if you have an email for the podcast, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com from the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch. Or, as Anne pointed out earlier, you can leave a comment on our Discord. We have a channel for Q and podcast questions that we don't love to hear them. Any game doesn't have to be, you know, I've wanted to talk about Diablo lore for a long time. So if you guys want to talk about Diablo, feel free to ask. Uh, But, you know, that's been the show. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being here. And we'll be back next week. 